welcome. Welcome, my friends, to the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. This is episode 52, recorded Sunday, August 7th, 2022, as I sit in a sunny parking lot in St. Regis, Montana. And today, I've got some thoughts for you on overcoming our primitive ancestry, uh, the awesomeness of Will White's Cradle series, and the significance of 771,000 words. The significance of our primitive ancestry, you're asking me? Um, so forgive me if you've heard this whole spiel before, but it just continues to be so relevant in my life, this notion that we have survived and thrived because we focus on danger, because we used to be scavengers. I'm reading this book called Sapiens, which is really wonderful. It's my nonfiction book for the year. I get through about one. And it's talking about how they think that perhaps our niche back in the Dizay when we were still uh, just coming out of the jungles and living on the plains of East Africa was that we would be the people who came after the lions had made the kill and after the jackals had eaten all the meat, we were the ones who would crack the bones and suck it out. And even though we've got these forward-facing hunter's eyes, we were low on the food chain, and so we had to scan for danger. And that made us get better and better at using what we had. And you know the story of us having thumbs, eventually having real smart brains, and inventing tools and agriculture and science. We can't really say that those things have been bad without saying that we ourselves are bad because we are products of our history and especially prehistory. It certainly doesn't help you feel happy. <laughs> That's what I've found, is that this focus on the negative, on the things that are going wrong or could go wrong, is so adaptive for surviving and so maladaptive for living happily. Um, and that's been especially true for writing, where a lot of writers talk about, <laughs> you can hear the train in the background, uh, talk about comparisonitis. Uh, this idea that we can always focus on where we aren't yet and what's wrong and what other people are doing better and being critical of our work and the things that we're trying to do with our life. And I am definitely an example of this. I have all kinds of goals for my writing and I'm not at most of them. Um, and sometimes it can feel like they're really far away or that other authors are a lot closer to it. And that's hard. And it doesn't make me feel good about what I'm doing. I made myself go on a hiatus from checking my sales while I was writing the Tidecaller Chronicles because I would obsessively do it while I was writing Empire of Resonance and they were never what I wanted. And if I checked those goals at the beginning of my like set aside hours to write, it would really keep me from writing because I would feel so critical and like ask myself, what's the point? And I am still that way, but I gave myself that hiatus and it was wonderful. I've just written these books in the vacuum of my imagination not worrying about how they'll be received, when they'll be received, if they'll be received, just focusing on making them the best that I can, which is what I need to do as a writer. Since I am also an independent-led publisher, I need to focus on marketing and all of those things eventually, but I gave myself a little grace to at least get the three, first three books out so I had a series to market before I worried about marketing and sales and all of that. So that hammer is coming up soon. <laughs> as soon as I finish this book, finally, the third book that uh, is taking me all summer because I don't really have time in the summer to work on it. Um, but it's coming soon and I, I don't fear it. But it's been wonderful in the meantime to not worry about it. Despite that, I do have a publisher for my first series, The Empire of Resonance, who I took on in large part so that they could sell my series better. And honestly, in the first year that they had it, I did not see that gambit paying off. Um, and so they send me 
quarterly sales reports and I I have mostly looked at them and again just felt critical and felt like I'm not where I want to be and put it away because I didn't want to look at it and ruin another writing session. And so in the middle of fruit in June, I got the quarter one report for this year. And I looked at it kind of knowing what I was going to see and expecting to want to put it away quickly. And uh, it was not what I was expecting to see. It was some pretty good sales and some even better page reads. Uh, If you don't know what page reads are, that's how on the author side we measure how many people are reading our books in the Kindle Unlimited program, which if you don't know is this thing where you pay Amazon $10 a month and you can read as many books as you want that are in their stable of authors. That is a stable of authors who have agreed to not put their books anywhere else. Um, And say what you will about it, A cool thing about that program for me is that I can see pages read, not books sold, because I buy tons of books that I never read. This is literally how many times did they flip the page? How many words did they scan through? So when you see pages read, it's an actual measure of how much you've been read versus people buying your books doesn't actually mean anything. Probably most of them at least try the book, but how many of them finish it? And I won't tell you my exact numbers, but it's often depressing to look at how many actual pages of mine have been read in that program, because this is a place that a lot of authors make a lot of good money, and I haven't particularly made good money at it yet. But my publisher was really pursuing this strategy to get a lot of pages read on the Empire of Resonance box set. Um, And in quarter one, it paid off. I was a little bit shocked to see that 771,433 pages of that series had been read. I think it, uh, Kimball calls it like a 1600 page series. So if everyone read it start to finish all four books, that'd be 400 and some people who've read it. And more likely lots of people read book one or part of book one or have gotten through book two or even book three, but they haven't finished all of it. So the number of readers is actually a lot higher than that. And that's awesome. And that, so my goals have always been number one, write the best books I can and keep getting better at it. Number two has been get people to read them, get lots of people to read them. Cause I don't, I'm not just writing for myself. I'm writing to be read. And goal number three is to make a living at it. So goal number one, I've been doing the best that I can. And that's all you can do for goal number one. Goal number two has always felt like a great place for that comparisonitis to come in and say, however much I've sold, however much I've been read, there are authors who have so much more (laughs) and I'll be able to do that for the rest of my life. But um, this number was a little bit of a shock in that category. And still, honestly, I think it was morning before I needed to sell fruit. I looked at it. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then I was like, oh, but I got to do this thing before I can set up the stand today. And I closed the email and I went about my day. And then at a quiet moment later in the day, when the table was all stocked and I had taken care of all the pressing negativities that my ancestral brain was telling me to worry about, I was like, 771,000? I would expect it to be like 7,100 or maybe 70,000 would be cool, but 700? You mean like three quarters of a million pages? And I went back and looked to make sure. And the the dollar amount tied to it was not bad. It was, to be clear, not a living yet. But it was better than I've ever seen from that program, right? And there was a lot of books sold independent of that. And some good audiobooks sold. And I looked and I was like, wow, that's actually really good. And the crazy thing, like, it was really great to see that it was really good. But the other thing that struck me was how close I had been to just glossing over that. Because... 
There's nothing pressing I need to do about those good sales. It's just a good thing. So I don't, it's not going to help me to survive to just like kick back and be like, yep, I crushed it. (laughs) But you know what it will help me do? It'll help me feel good about being an author. And this like sort of popped out to me that it was optional to me whether I took that email fully in because I haven't gotten to be there for every person who buys the book. Like if I had made all those sales at my stand or if I'd been hanging out in a library full of 400 some people all devouring my one series, it would sink in. It'd be like, holy cow. But it's all invisible. It's all online. It's all just a number that comes in a spreadsheet four times a year. So easy to ignore. But if I ignore it, I'll go on feeling like I'm at the bottom of this comparisonitis. So this is advice that I got from someone a while ago who I think was reading a a self-help book or something. But anyway, the advice is to savor the good things. And I take that to mean intentionally make yourself slow down because we will absolutely savor the bad things. We will stew in the bad things. And that's good because it helps us to make a plan to overcome the bad things. But it doesn't help us to feel good about life when you get these little signs that what you're doing has actually paid off and worked out and you're like getting little pieces of success, even if it's not what you want, even if you can still compare. Those little signs are so important and it's we're not wired to savor them. We're wired to gloss over them to look for the next problem, the next danger. So I spent some time that day just savoring in this number, 771,433. Like this is my first taste of goal number two, a goal I've been pursuing for, let's be clear, 10 years, actually working out. And that's amazing. So I don't know what your projects are or what you're trying to do with your life, but my advice would be to slow down when you get any kind of sign. When your kid randomly tells you that they love you, when a customer seems really satisfied, even if they don't say you did a great job, even if it just seems like you've delivered some good value, whatever it is that you're doing, figure out what success looks like. And when you get a little taste of that, do not gloss over it in pursuit of how you can still be doing better. Just savor it. This is the thing our ancestors were lacking. Or maybe they weren't and we lost it somewhere in the intervening prehistory and historic years as things got in some ways easier and in some ways harder. We need to have the skill of savoring. We need to slow down and let ourselves appreciate that in fact, life is good. We have more good things than bad. And there are signs that we're doing a good job. Um, Speaking of being successful, I am not much of an author in the summertime. I've done a little bit more work on the Rebel of Riddle and Woe revision, the last revision before I narrate it. I think I've gotten from 53% to 61% in the last couple weeks, which is not crazy. Probably it's been a while since I actually did a podcast versus those preview chapters. It's probably gone up, I don't know, 50% in that time, but that's pretty slow considering it would be just a few days work during my regular writing season, but still it's a thing. I've also been doing some pre-writing on book number four, Queen of Blood and Blasphemy, because it's a big old chonker, I think, that's got to tie up a lot of stuff that's happened in the first three books. And I just love the play around stage of starting to plan a book and thinking about all the cool things that could happen. I love that stage. I love writing it. I despise revising them. That is how I work as a writer. (laughs) So I've done some work on that uh, during a couple of slow days that I had at the stand. They're rare, but they're cool because I can either read or work on writing during that time. But honestly, there's not a lot happening during these several months beyond a little bit of savoring here and there. 
I am doing lots of reading. The cool thing about the summer is that I recharge as a reader because I don't find much time to do it in the off season. But in the summer, I've been crushing those cradle books. I finished book number seven, I think it is, Uncrowned. It was just as awesome as the other ones. I can't recommend highly enough unless you really need Dour Grimdark because they're on the lighter side, but the action is great. The slow burn is the slowest burn possible. <laughs> the magic is cool. The plot is awesome. The settings are cool. It's all over the top. It's just like light, happy, fun. Like this is sort of like, like what I watch comedy series for on Netflix. I'm just looking for entertainment. You know, I'm not looking for deeper meaning and there may be a little bit there, but mostly this is entertainment and it's done really well. So I've loved that. And when I finished that, I decided, okay, the summer is passing. This is the summer for me to finish my Wheel of Time marathon that's gone for five years. I only got one book left. Everybody says it's great. So I've come back to a memory of light and it still feels really intense and heavy with like the prologue has this extended battle scene of this guy slowly dying it's ridiculous <laughs> but um i'm enjoying it so that's what i'm back into and uh that's a chonker of a book so it'll take me a while to get through but i'm happy to be back with my man sanderson channeling the dead spirits of my other man robert jordan so with that i think i have a mechanic coming to work on my semi-trailer in a little bit here i hope that i do so uh, if you don't know or if you missed it in those last previews, I do have Thief of Smoke and Sorrow available for free for y'all because you listen to my podcast. If you go to the link in the show notes or levijacobs.com slash free. And I also have a uh, free audiobook in the Empire of Resonance world, which is where those 771,000 pages have been read. Not on that one, but on the main series. That book is free too everywhere on Audible or Google Books or whatever. Just search for Urchin's Gambit. Um, and actually, if you want to listen to that series and keep my wonderful numbers up there and give me something to savor next time around, it's $26 to buy the whole audio box set, all four books, and that's like 52 hours of professional narration. But the hack is to buy the Kindle version. The ebook is 99 cents as part of this overall strategy. And when you do that, it's going to ask you if you want to add narration for $7.99 or $7.50 or something. So you can actually get the ebook and all the audiobooks for eight bucks. And I probably shouldn't tell you that because I end up making more money if you don't do it. But y'all are my podcast listeners. You deserve a little something special. So that's the hack. If you haven't read them, I hope you enjoy them. It looks like people are. It's really cool. Uh, another thing to savor is there's like 420 reviews on the set, which is way more reviews than I've ever gotten on anything. And it's an average of four and a half stars. So goal number one, write good books. I guess maybe finally it turns out that I did. So with that, as always, I hope this podcast finds you well and in the company of good books. Till next time. Hope you enjoy and savor reading on. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Tide Collar Chronicles, visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, go to www.levijacobs.com slash free. Thanks for listening and read on.